in uh, in one little midwestern town, Miss Jones had the distinction of being the oldest resident in the town. So when she passed away, the editor of the local newspaper wanted to print a little article remembering this this dear old lady. Except he couldn't think of anything to say about her in this article. Miss Jones had never done anything significant. Nor had she ever done anything terribly wrong either. With this problem still on his mind, the editor went down to the local cafe. And there he ran into the funeral director. He too was having the same trouble. He wanted to put something on her gravestone besides Miss Nancy Jones, born such and such date and died such and such date. But he couldn't think of anything to write. So the editor decided to go back to his office and assign the job of writing up a small article for the paper and something for the gravestone to the first reporter he saw. When he got to the office, he ran into the sports reporter who got the assignment. Somewhere... In some little community in the Midwest, there is a gravestone which reads, Here lies the bones of Nancy Jones. Her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid. She died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way, that describes the way many Christians live their lives. No hits, no runs, no errors. No nothing. And that's how we might best describe this next church we are looking at this morning. We have made it to the last of the seven churches that Jesus addressed in the the book of Revelation. The church in the city of Laodicea. The city of Laodicea was founded in the 3rd century B.C. by King Antiochus II, who named it after his wife, Laodice. 
He named the city for her. That's kind of of heart-touching, isn't it? Such a nice gesture on his part. Don't you think? Yes. But then he divorced her. And later she poisoned him. But the name stuck. The name of the city remained. The city was located 90 miles east of Ephesus. You probably got a map back there. 90 miles east of Ephesus and 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It was a prosperous city known as a major banking center. We might call it the Wall Street of the region. And as such, it attracted a lot of people with a lot of money. And as an example of just how rich they were, the city was completely destroyed by an earthquake in 60 A.D. And they were able to rebuild the city by themselves without any help from anyone else. They were so rich, in fact, they even rejected an offer from the Roman government to help rebuild. The city had a very large and wealthy Jewish population. It was a center for emperor worship. And they worshiped the healing god Asclepius. And associated with the worship of Asclepius was a famous medical school known for its medical advances and its care to include the manufacturing of an ointment that was used to treat a common eye problem. This ointment was exported all over the world. The city also had a a booming textile industry which was especially known for the production of soft, black, woolen fabric and garments. So the city financially thrived due to its banking, its medical services, and its textile industry. Money flowed through this city like water. And it was reflected in its infrastructure, in its buildings, and in its businesses. And oddly enough, it was water that plagued this city. Because they lacked an adequate water source to supply their ever-increasing population. Laodicea was located on a high plateau. Far from a sustaining water source. So to address their water needs, they had to pipe in their water from other cities through a system of aqueducts. You got a slide of that? Okay. Laodicea was was one of three sister cities. The other two was Colossae, 
which was about 10 miles to the east, known for its cold mountain water, and Heropolis, which was about 6 miles to the north, known for its hot mineral springs. So from miles away, cold water was piped in from Colossae, and hot water was piped in from Heropolis. I mean, that sounds like an ingenious idea to obtain hot and cold running water. But by the time the hot and the cold water actually reached the city of Laodicea through miles of aqueduct, it was no longer hot or cold. It had become lukewarm. So this city had a water problem. But for these self-sufficient and self-reliant people, it seemed to be a comfortable place to live. And apparently, a comfortable place to go to church as well. In regard to the church... Little is known about its early history, but it's thought that it was planted by one of the Apostle Paul's disciples, known as Epaphras. Epaphras. The same individual who likely planted the church in Colossae. When Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians, he mentioned Epaphras by name and gave instructions to forward the letter to the Colossian church to the church in Laodicea. For they were likely dealing with the same issues of false doctrine. Now we could spend a little time focusing on the letter from Paul, but let's look at the letter from the Lord to this church in Laodicea, which came about 30 years later. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we will begin with verse 14. Revelation 3, beginning with verse 14. And Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. Let's stop there. Here Jesus introduces himself to this church as the Amen. When we hear that word, Amen, we understand it to mean, so be it, Or for some, let's eat. But in this context, the Hebrew word for amen means truth. So this could read the amen. That is to say, the faithful and true witness. In essence, Jesus who is the truth, who speaks the truth,
has the last word. He is the last word of God. And He has the last word in our lives because He is faithful and true. Jesus also said He is the beginning of creation of God, and this can be somewhat misleading. The word beginning in Greek is arche, which in this context refers to the source or the origin. It has the idea of prominence rather than sequence. So this phrase is not teaching that Jesus was the first to be created. Instead, he is the origin of creation. He is the source of creation, the source of all life. And this is further explained by Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, where he states about Jesus, he is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So Jesus is faithful and true. He is the source and the sustainer of all things. He stands out in relation to creation, and He has the last word for this church in Laodicea. And here it comes. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Like the other churches, Jesus tells this church, I know your deeds. Jesus knows exactly what they are doing. He knows where they are in life. And he says to them, This is tough. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let me say that what you might think Jesus is saying here is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not what you may think. A common misconception is that those who, are, those who are hot represent the saved. 
And those who are cold represent the lost. But that really makes no sense if you think about it. I mean, does Jesus wish that some people were cold, meaning lost? Of course not. That makes no sense. Hot doesn't represent the saved. And cold is not the lost. Actually, in context, both hot and cold are very desirable. Just as they were for the people in the city of Laodicea, who sought hot and cold water from their sister cities. The hot mineral waters were good for cleansing and warming. They had a therapeutic value. Whereas the cold mountain water was cooling and refreshing. Both hot and cold were beneficial and desirable. And that's what Jesus is implying here. But when it comes to lukewarm water, the kind of distasteful water the people of Laodicea actually received from their sister cities, that symbolized a problem in this early church. And let me explain using example. Suppose you wanted a cup of hot tea. On a cold day. Okay? You want a cup of hot tea on a cold day. What would you do? You've got to do something to make the water hot. You have to boil the water either on a stove top or, or in a microwave oven. You add a tea bag to your cup, you pour in the hot water, and then you let it steep for a few moments before you drink it, right? Suppose you wanted a glass of cold iced tea on a hot day. What would you do? You've got to do something to make the tea cold. Typically, you would put in ice cubes in your glass, or you could put it in a refrigerator to cool down. The point is, to enjoy hot tea and cold iced tea, you've got to do something. Typically, hot tea does not become hot, and iced tea does not become cold all by itself. Now, what do you need to do to make your tea lukewarm? Nothing. Give it no attention. Simply walk away from it. Just leave your cup of hot tea or your glass of iced tea On the countertop, give it a little time, no attention, 
And the tea will eventually reflect the temperature of the room. Without any effort, it will become lukewarm all by itself. And that seems to be the issue in the church of Laodicea. This outwardly self-righteous and self-sufficient and self-reliant church was so comfortable and so complacent that they had become spiritually lukewarm inactive and indifferent. Unconcerned about the things of God and lethargic. To the point that God had become nothing to them but a mere afterthought. This church may have sounded spiritual, they, have, they may have met on Sunday to fulfill some religious obligation so they felt good about themselves. They may have sung some hymns. They may have professed their devotion to God. But in reality, in the way they lived their lives day in and day out, God really didn't matter to them. And it made Jesus sick to his stomach. In essence, that's what he's telling them. You are so distasteful to me. I want to vomit. That's what he's saying. I mean, those are some strong words. And that would be more than enough to hear from Jesus at this point. But because he is faithful and true, he's not done. Jesus had more to say to them. Look at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable. And poor and blind and naked. Stop there. The city, the city of Laodicea was known for its financial prosperity. The Laodiceans put their trust in their riches. They felt they didn't need anything. They believed they needed no one. And this church was no different. Like the city in its pride, the church boasted that it was rich. 
it had become wealthy in need of nothing. They had all they wanted and they lived their lives in such a way as to suggest they had no need for the Lord. They could do church without Him. And here's the worst of it all. They didn't even realize it. Jesus said, You do not know. They were so comfortable and so complacent that everything seemed fine. But it wasn't. They were, they were oblivious to their real need and blind to their spiritual condition. The city of Laodicea was famous for its wealth and luxury. But the church was spiritually wretched and miserable and poor. The city of Laodicea was famous for its healing eye ointment. But the church who thought they had insight were spiritually blind. The city of Laodicea was famous for its fine clothing. It's black woolen fabric. But the church, who thought they were dressed in righteousness and purity, were spiritually naked. The city had gotten into the church. And they thought their spiritual needs were filled by worldly means. And so they assumed they had it all. They had it all. Their faith and their hope rested on their material wealth rather than on Jesus Christ. And so they got complacent and comfortable and they became inactive and indifferent, unconcerned, about the real need for God in their lives and forgetting that He is the source and the sustainer of all life. They had it all wrong. They did not see themselves as they truly were and they treated Jesus like an old, comfortable shoe. That made Jesus sick to His stomach. But, but, he still cared for them. And he wanted to see them change. Let's continue with verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus talking. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus is faithful and true. And He spoke some hard truth to this church because, quite frankly, He had to. But it wasn't too late for this church. And Jesus tells them how to turn things around. They must repent of their self-righteousness and their self-sufficiency and their self-reliance and realize that ultimately everything comes from God. The source and the sustainer of all things. You see, they had put their faith and their hope in the wrong things. Content with the things that money could buy. But if they wanted true treasure, if they wanted to be dressed in righteousness and purity, if they wanted spiritual insight that was life-changing, then Jesus says they could only get that from Him. So repent and humbly return to the Lord. I was reminded of something that Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8 verse 36. Where he said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Yes, you can crave the things of this world and you can build your own kingdom but it will all pass away and you will have wasted your life. You may appear to be successful in the eyes of others and yet have nothing to show for your life when you stand before the Lord. It's not about building your kingdom. It's about expanding His kingdom. For that is the purpose of the church. That's why we exist. And if you want spiritual blessings in His kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever, Jesus says, stop trusting in yourselves, stop living for yourselves, and live for me. This truth from Jesus was likely very hard for the people in this church. Here, But there was another truth that was just important to hear. And that was, Jesus said, He loves them. It was a tough love. But love nonetheless. The kind of love a concerned parent has for a child who needs correction and discipline. Jesus loves them, and He gave an invitation to them. So let's look at these last three verses, beginning with verse 20. You will recognize these. Verse 20. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Take a look at a, a slide of a painting. Is, there, is it up? You see that painting? This is a, a famous painting called The Light of the World. Have you ever seen it before? called The Light of the World, by an artist whose name is Holman Hunt. It's a painting of Jesus standing outside, knocking on a door, wanting inside. And if you look at, at, if you look at it closely, there's something odd about it. There's no door handle on the outside. People thought this was a mistake. But the artist explained that this door must be opened from the inside. That's the image we get from Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 which is a verse that is used by a lot of people as an evangelistic passage, a passage to reach the lost. And I guess that's fine. I guess that's fine. But in context, who was Jesus talking to? Who was Jesus talking to? He's talking to the church. Jesus is talking to the congregation. Symbolically, Jesus is knocking on the door of this church. Because he wants this church to let him in. You know it's bad when Jesus isn't allowed in your church. A cowboy came to a city church one Sunday morning. All he had on were jeans, a flannel shirt, and boots that were worn and ragged. He carried a worn out hat And a worn out Bible. After church, the pastor said, Next time, ask God what you should wear to this church. The next Sunday, he wore the same thing. Afterwards, the pastor said, 
I thought I told you to ask God what you should wear to this church. The cowboy responded, I did. And he said he didn't know. He's never been to this church. Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea, I'm not going to force the door open. But if you will open it, I will come in. This is an invitation to those who seem far away from the Lord to start fresh. Jesus is knocking, willing to forgive, wanting to move forward, and desiring to be in a meaningful relationship with those He dearly loves. But, it will be on His terms. On His terms. To open the door to Christ requires a willingness to change. A willingness to surrender. And a willingness to trust and obey Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. For those who open the door, Jesus promises to come in and make Himself at home. To make himself at home. That's the picture I get from these words. And in a sense, this applies to all of the seven churches we looked at. And thus, it applies to all believers everywhere at all times. And it begs a few personal questions for each of us because each of us make up the church. Is Jesus really welcome in my life? Really? Is he really welcome? Is Jesus at home in my heart? Or am I refusing to open the door because I am not willing to accept His terms? Tough questions, aren't they? Tough questions. Is Jesus at home in my heart? Is he knocking? Is he knocking? Have you let him in? That goes for the lost. And in context, 
that goes to the church, doesn't it? Have you let them in? Have we let them in? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your forgiveness. No matter how far away we are from you, no matter how far we drift, you desire to bring us back. You love us dearly. I thank you so much. Father, give us a willingness to love you, a willingness to change, a willingness to surrender, a willingness to trust you, Lord, to obey you. I pray, Lord God, that Jesus would be my absolute everything. I pray, Father, that Jesus would increase and that we as a church would decrease. May you be lifted up here, Father. And Lord, I pray we don't ever become complacent or comfortable. I don't want to be a church like Laodicea. I don't want to treat you like an old, worn-out, comfortable shoe. Father, it's continually refresh our hearts and our minds. Continue to challenge us. Continue to work in our, our lives. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, this truly was a... A message to to people who seem far from the Lord, for lack of a better description, who just seem far away. Obviously, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are far from the Lord. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. His purpose is that you would experience eternal life. That means that you would have a full and meaningful life in the here and now. But when you left this world, you'd be with Him in eternity. His purpose is that you would have eternal life. But the Bible teaches we have a problem. Our problem is sin. Our problem is sin. And sin prevents us from experiencing God's purpose for us. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. That's that's just a given. We know that. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. All of us are unrighteous. If left alone to ourselves. 
And the Bible teaches that there is a penalty for sin. And it's a horrible penalty. The wages of sin is death. That's physical death, but also separation from God for eternity. Spiritual death. It's a horrible death. I'm talking death and hell. Horrible. So God has a purpose that we would have eternal life, but we got a problem, and it's a sin problem. But God has a remedy. God loves us so much. He loves us so much. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. God loves us, but He's also holy and just and has to punish sin. He had to, or He ceases to be holy and just. He had to punish it. And because He loved us so much, He sent Jesus Christ to take our punishment upon Himself. That's what He did. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to God the Father but by Him. By His sacrifice. That's what He said. God has a purpose that we would have eternal life We got a problem, and it's sin. God had a remedy, and it's Jesus Christ. And we have a response. We're to repent of our sin, to change. If we're going in the wrong direction, we need to go in the other direction. Turn from sin and turn to Him. We've got to repent. We've got to place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do. Trust Him. And then we surrender to Him as Lord. He becomes the boss. He's the master. I am the follower. And Jesus says, wow, this is so so crazy. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Crazy. It's wild. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's not make it any more difficult than it has to be. For those who do not know Christ, it's just a matter of calling upon Him to be your Savior and Lord. And I would love to help you with that in my new room. (laughs) I would love to talk with you, absolutely. But what about the Christians? Because this letter was written to a church, was it not? This was to a church. And the truth of the fact is that even as Christians, we can wander off, can't we? Absolutely wander off. I'm convinced, because I've experienced it personally, the most miserable person in this world is a Christian who is far away from God. Absolutely miserable. 
you are a Christian. But he's just knocking on the door and you won't let him in. My guess is, because you choose to live in sin, or you are refusing to change, God is impressing upon your heart, you need to do something, you've got to stop what you're doing, or you've got to start doing this, and you refuse to budge. You won't budge. And you're miserable, and you wonder why. So whether I'm speaking to a lost person this morning or to a Christian who's just absolutely miserable, the same invitation applies. Jesus says, I'm knocking on your door. I'm knocking on your door. Let me in. Just let me in. Just let me in. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to trust me and obey me? It's the same message to, to any, any person. It's the same. I just pray this morning that whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever's going on in your life, you just give it to him. Lord, okay. You're the Lord. I am not. Whatever you say do, I'm going to do. I may not like it. I may not like it. It might impact my pride. My, it might hurt my ego. Lord, whatever you say do, I want to do. Because I don't like being away from you. However the Lord moves you this morning, I just ask that you would obey him. That's all I ask. I'd like to uh, close this in prayer. I want to pray for our, uh, for our offering and also for our fellowship afterwards. Again, uh, just thank you so much for being here. And uh, remember, next week, we're going to tackle the rapture. Uh, so hopefully that you look forward to that. Father, I thank you again for this time together with uh, my friends, my Christian brothers and sisters. And Heavenly Father, I just pray you just do a mighty work amongst us uh, as, as individuals, but also, Father, collectively as a church. Father, we are yours. You bought and paid for us. And Father, I just pray that uh, we would just, be, uh, just trust you and we, we would obey you, Father, in all things. Lord, I thank you, Father, for uh, this opportunity to give back what you have so richly blessed us with. Father, help us to use uh, the tithes and offerings in a way that, that honors and glorifies you. Father, give us wisdom and insight to use your money properly, Lord. And Lord, also I, I would pray that you'd bless our fellowship time as we partake of, uh, of this lunch meal. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that you just uh, bless us richly. Bless, Father, those who have prepared uh, the meal, who have brought uh, stuff. And, Father, bless us as we spend time together. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.